Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis of Bible Interact. I have been doing a number of sessions on the remnant. I started talking about the remnant of Israel, and I hope I convinced you that all of Israel belongs to God, but only a few will be a remnant that are entitled to a special inheritance called the birthright. And that birthright entitles them to a leadership role and the birth, the, um, the remnant will be involved in a battle at some time in the future that will defeat God's enemy. Now, my, my question was, it, will there be a remnant out of the church also? I use the word church to refer to all those with faith in Yeshua. It's the English translation of a word in the New Testament, and it simply means people. That's all it means. It means people. Uh, those people who uh, believe in Yeshua. Will there be a remnant out of believers in Yeshua? And my answer was yes. In the last session, I told you how I discovered that answer, working in Romans 9 through 11. And I explained to you that those three chapters are all about the remnant. They begin with Halakhic Midrash, which the Christian theologians have, have not understood the concept of Halakhic Midrash and how it's used in Scripture. I first discovered it in Galatians, in Paul's uh, letter to the Galatians. When I was I was working on it, I had ordered every book I could get, which was the Jewish, you know, from Jewish scholars, about Halakhic Midrash. And then I, I finally, my breakthrough was um, uh, volumes by Menachem Elon, who had taught at the Hebrew University School of Law, subsequently was appointed to the Israeli Supreme Court. His books were for beginning law students. And, of course, they were written in Hebrew, but they had been translated into English, thank goodness. I mean, I, I can read Hebrew slowly and carefully, but I, this was pretty advanced material, so it was nice I could read it in English. And, and I, it, that was my breakthrough, and I understood Halakhic Midrash. I was able to meet with Menachem in, in Israel, I was with a group of uh, Hadassah ladies, and they arranged for me to meet with Menachem. It was a, a wonderful meeting, and, and, and that was my breakthrough. And from that, I really began to understand how Paul was using Halakhic Midrash in the New Testament. He is using it in Roman, the beginning of Romans uh, chapter 9, and he's using it to explain to Jews, look, you guys, you've been born to this inheritance of the birthright. But unless you are worthy, you are not going to inherit it. It's going to be given to others. And we see that in Scripture, that even though you're born to the birthright as the firstborn son, you're not necessarily entitled to inherit it. And then Romans 9 through 11 continues on. And, we, and the word remnant is actually used. I read you those passages. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, Paul shifts gears in Romans chapter 11, he says, now I'm going to talk to you Gentiles. Gentiles are simply not Jews. That's all it means. They're just, you know, I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I belong to God by my faith in Christ. So, and, and Paul says, I'm going to talk to you, to you Gentiles. And then I showed you in my last teaching in Romans 9 through 11, how uh, the 
the Gentile believers who belong to Christ, God is making a selection out of out of uh, the church as to who will be part of the remnant and who will not. Now, what I want to do now is I want to give you more evidence from Scripture that God is making a selection out of believers in Christ as to who will be part of the remnant, who will not, and what we need to do to be part of the remnant and the role that we will pl play as part of the remnant. It has nothing to do with who will be saved and who will not be saved. Uh, there is a role in the future that the remnant will play. That role will be to defeat God's enemy because who is entitled um, to be in the in the in the army you know if you don't if you don't obey your commander in chief who is yeshua you're not a very good foot soldier you have to learn how to obey if yeshua says stand you stand if yeshua says you know do some shoot you shoot i don't know you the, the ones who are prepared to be in that battle are the ones who have submitted in humble obedience to their lord yeshua all right what i want to do now is I want to start and explain that all Gentile believers who belong to God are not born to the birthright. However, Yeshua is born to the birthright. We read that in the book of Hebrews. When God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So this is very clear that Yeshua is the firstborn son of God. He is born to the birthright. And the fact that he has been resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, means he is worthy to inherit the birthright. Now, the word for inherit, yarash, in Hebrew, also means to possess. So, so he has been given his inheritance by promise, but he has to come back and possess it. That hasn't happened yet. That will happen right before the millennial kingdom. He will come back and he will possess his inheritance. But he has been declared worthy of, of that uh, birthright. Now, um, the millennial kingdom, by the way, um, I suggest will be filled with the remnant, those who are, are worthy of that inheritance. But it's further preparation. It's a thousand years, which is ten multiplied. And, and it's 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 further preparation for the battle that's going to occur after the millennial kingdom because at the beginning of the millennial kingdom satan is chained after the millennial kingdom he is loosed he's he's loosed and that's when he's that's when the battle is going to occur after the millennial kingdom now the um the requirement to be part of the remnant is is to be holy holy means you know, to be to be righteous. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be perfect because that's impossible in, in this life today. And as I've explained before, God only sees the heart. So if your heart truly desires to be one with God, he's going to allow you to grow closer and closer and closer and closer to him. And in that process, he is making a decision whether or not you are worthy to be part of that birthright. All right, now let's take a look um, this is a passage I've read to you before. I'm going to read it again. It's in Genesis. It refers to Abraham. It's God explaining why he has chosen Abraham. Now, the word chosen, bahar, that's that verbal root, which means to select or choose as the firstborn, entitled to inherit the birthright who will be part of the remnant. That's, that's that word, all right? And so we read here, God says, I have chosen Abraham him, referring to Abraham, this is God speaking, and using this verbal root, Bahar, for the birthright, so that he may command his children and his household after him. 
So the one who is entitled, who is worthy, is, is raising up his household. How do we do it? We don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. If your children are walking off in, go, in godly ways, in ungodly ways, you are not responsible for that. God is respons- responsible for that. You are responsible for the way you walk, the way you live. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And if you are walking in righteousness, if you are walking in, in, in the ways of God, that is all God asks of you in, in terms of raising your children. So don't don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. So let's keep going. So that Abraham may command his children and his household after him, because he had all those servants with him, his household, those who were around him, to keep the way of the Lord. Keep the way of the Lord is to walk in the ways of the law. All right? How do we keep the way of the Lord? It says right here, by doing righteousness and justice. It's not knowing the law, it's doing the law. And by the way, through our faith in Christ, God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and the Holy Spirit guides us to walk in the ways of the law. We don't have to stuff our heads with 613 laws. So by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Okay, so... So this is what we must do to be to be part of to be part of the remnant. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you into the concept of Christ in you and you in Christ. And in order to understand it you have to know what a metaphor is. Most people who read the Bible don't understand this. They just read it literally. They don't understand it. They don't get the deeper meaning. The deeper meaning is in the metaphor. Now, we all know what a symbol is. One thing stands for another. Wine represents the blood of Christ. Bread represents his body. That's a symbol. It's a recognized symbol from Scripture. We know what it means. A metaphor is an extended symbol. So that in wine and, and uh, blood, we, can, we see the relationship. But in an extended symbol... You, there's there's no logical relationship. There's no logical relationship. The two things are, are not alike. There, there's nothing to to make the connection ex- unless you 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 have to do it visually. You, it's it's an extended symbol. Let me show you. Okay, we have food. I have food. I have food in my kitchen. I put food in my stomach by eating it. I pick it up and I eat it. That's literal. You get a picture of me eating food at my kitchen table. It's literal. You can get a picture. Now listen to this. Eat the bread of life. All right? We have eating, and we have something that's not bread, but it's the bread of life. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol that has been extended so that it, it's not literal anymore. Now we know what that means. You, you know what a metaphor means. If you stop, you have to stop and think about it. You can't take it literally. You have to stop and think about it. Bread is the source of life. It's food. If you don't have bread, you die. If you don't have water, you die. Eat the bread of life. The bread of life is pointing to Christ. He is the bread of life. He is the source of life. There is no other source of life except through him he brings us to the Father. Life is in the Father. And we get it through our faith in him. 
That's how we get it. That's what a metaphor is. Now, listen to this metaphor. Not, not yet. Just let me tell, tell you first. Scripture tells us in both the, the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament, it's repeated in 1 Timothy. No man has seen God at any time. I'm sorry, folks. That's what Scripture says. Now, we're going to see the metaphor. We're going to understand who Christ is through the metaphor. We have here that God was in Christ. You know, we see that in Scripture. God, um, God was, was in Christ. So we can create a metaphor by placing God in Christ, which suggests that God and Christ are one. They are one's a father, one's a son, but God is in Christ. I have a picture of two circles. The larger circle is the father, the slightly smaller circle is the son. And then I show the two of them slowly coming together until the smaller circle is inside the bigger circle. They are one. So metaphorically, God and Christ are one. God is in Christ. Now, once we see that, we can see that Christ belongs to God and whatever Christ says and does is as if God were saying and doing those things. So when Christ speaks, he speaks for God. It's God speaking because he's in, he's in, in the Father. It's God speaking when Christ speaks. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God is in Christ when Christ speaks. It is God speaking. All right? Now, we're going to take it a little bit farther. We've got, let's see. I want to see just where I am in my notes here. Okay. We have another uh, metaphor. All right, now stop, stop and think about this. God, uh, um, God is in Christ. Scripture says that Christ is in you if you have faith in him. Christ is in you. What does that mean? God, the Father, is in you through your faith in Christ. He's in you through your faith in Christ. It's all metaphorically speaking. I want you to get a picture. I want you to see those balls coming together. <clears throat> I want you to picture the Father and the Son. I want you to picture the Father-Son in us. I want you to get that picture because it's all part, part of the metaphor. Now, we get in Colossians, it says um, there's this mystery, and, and the author of Colossians has said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've got this mystery, I can show you the mystery. What's the mystery? It's in that embedded in, in the, the depth of Scripture. I can show you about this mystery. <laughs> the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, he's not physically in you. You don't have a dead, resurrected Christ in your body. You don't have it. It's metaphorical. He is in you, not physically, but metaphorically. He's in you. Now, another thing that's important is, is the term, the hope of glory. Hope is a Greek word that means something entirely different from the English word. The English word means maybe. Oh, I hope, I hope it's going to rain today because we've had this incredible drought. I hope it's going to rain. Do I know whether it's going to rain or not? No, I don't. Hope is maybe. Maybe it will rain. I hope it will rain. The Greek word hope is elpis. It means something entirely different. Um, it, it means the certainty of something that's going to happen in the future. If I belong to Christ 
that belong to God through my faith in Christ. I know. I know that I know that I know. I know that I will be with God at some time in the future. Right now, I'm separated from God through sin. Now, I may come into his presence from time to time when I am in total alignment and harmony, and that's the goal. You know, we can't be you know, we can't be one with God all the time, but we can be from time to time, and, and we want to be from time to time. Um, and, and when we are one with God, we are in the kingdom, which is future, but it also can be present when we bring it into our lives today. So, so the hope is the certainty of glory. The glory is going to happen when I am with God at some time in the future. In order to do that, I must be in a completely righteous condition. I can have no sin because God is, is fully righteous. And I, if I were to come into his presence with any kind of sin in me, I would die. So I have to be in a fully righteous condition. But the hope is that I know, I know that I will be with him at some time in the future. And, um, you know, I fuss a lot about uh, Christianity is so confused about who's saved and who's not saved. Maybe I'll do a teaching on that sometime. And, um, and, and you have to know with an absolute certainty in your heart that you belong to God, that you will be with God at some time in the future, and that's the hope of glory. So Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The fact that Christ is in you makes you a child of God. The fact that Christ is in you means that you are going to be with God at some time in the future. It's a, a promise of something future. All right, let's stop again and let's go back to our metaphor. All right, God is spirit. No man has seen him at any time. He is spirit. Spirit is also translated wind or breath. You can't see wind. You can feel dust particles when the wind blows, but that's not wind. You can see the clouds move because there's water vapor, but that's not wind. All right, um, it, Wind is something that you cannot experience with any of your five senses. By the way, ruach, which is spirit, is also translated breath for the same reason. Breath is like wind. No man has seen God at any time. He is spirit. That spirit was in Christ. Christ is now in me through my faith in him. Therefore, that spirit is in me. That is a gift. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that is in me through my faith in Christ. It's the only way I get it, through my faith in Christ. And that spirit is the Father. That spirit has all the power of God. <laughs> what what power does God have? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> So when we walk by the Spirit, we are walking in, in alignment and harmony with God, and we are operating that power. By the way, the goal is to shine forth the light that is in us. What is that light? God is light. It's, it's the light of the Father through Christ in us. And when we walk by letting the Holy Spirit guide us, and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are shining forth the light that is the light of God. And that's the true witness. That's, you know, yes, we're to speak words, but the true witness is the light that we shine into the world. That's the true witness. So we, ha we have the hope of glory. We have Christ in us. Now I'm going to shift gears. Because when we are 
in Christ we are walking as Jesus Christ walked. That's what it tells us in 1 John. So there's a distinction between Christ in you, which is a gift. It's a promise. But you can live in the promise now because you have it. You know the hope. You have it. You can live in it now. Even though it won't be completely complete until the future, you have it now. But there is also you in Christ. That only happens from time to time. When you are in Christ, you are walking as Jesus Christ walked. And when you are in Christ, you are one with Christ. That means that when you speak, you are speaking for Christ. The same way that when Christ spoke, he spoke for God. It was as if God was speaking. When you speak words of prophecy, you are speaking as if Christ were speaking. That's what you're doing. When you are walking as he walked, you're, I mean, you're, you're walking in alignment and harmony with God by the help of the Holy Spirit. It is if Christ were on this earth walking. When you shed forth that light into the world, it is as if Christ were shedding forth that light. So, what I want to do now is I want to read you this passage, the full passage in Colossians. It's just so powerful. Let me read it to you. It's the one that says that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Let me read you the whole thing. It's this mystery, this mystery that has been uncovered. You know how they use this halakhic midrash. I talked about that in the last session to draw out the deep meaning the hidden meaning that God had hidden and it says the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints so the author of Colossians has done the Halakhic Midrash has pulled it out is now is is making known this mystery to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles all right now, Jews also who believe in Christ are are this are are in this same category. So the Gentiles have been added to the family of God by faith in Christ, but Jews also can 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 receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They already belong to God, but they can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by their faith in Christ. So this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So uh, it's all metaphorical. You have to understand it metaphorically. When you you really work on it and really begin to understand it, you, you will understand who is the Father, who is the Son, what is the relationship between the Father and the Son, who are you, what is your relationship to the Son, what is your relationship to the Father. You're going to get it all. You're going to get it all if you can see it metaphorically. It's really pretty powerful. So this concept of um, of uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, um, the glorious God whom we will experience when we come into his presence in a, in a fully righteous condition. So we, we see the same idea in Romans. Let me just take you to a, a one verse in Romans here. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. If Christ is in you, stop, is Christ in you? The answer is yes. If you believe that he is the Son of God, God has resurrected him out from the dead, Christ is in you, that's the gift. If Christ is in you, which it is, though the body is dead because of sin, all right, sin is what causes death. Are you dead today? No. You are not dead today, 
but metaphorically, you are dead because of sin. You're not physically dead, but metaphorically, you are dead because of sin. Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So your physical body is not dead, but in fact, metaphorically, you are dead because you have sin in you. But hold it, hold it, hold it. You now have the spirit in you because Christ is in you. Because Christ is in you, you have the Spirit, which is the Father, in you through your faith in Christ. You have the Spirit in you, and that is what makes you alive. Are you totally righteous today? No. Are you? Do you have the living Spirit in you? Yes. Does that mean that you will be with God, completely righteous in the future? Yes. Does it mean that you can walk in righteousness now? Yes. When you walk in righteousness, you are truly alive. It is so powerful. And if you walk in that righteousness, then you are in line to be part of the remnant. And I sure hope you'll be there. I hope I'll be there. No, we won't know because we have to stand faithful to the end. With that, I wish you shalom.